0: You just got to start with a belief. Do we believe, create a belief, create a future state of the like vision of the world you want to create. And then you get people to believe in themselves.
1: Welcome to The Irresistible Factor, a podcast where I talk to founders and investors and retailers about what it takes to launch successful brands. From developing a compelling proposition and brand identity, to raising capital, to getting distribution and more. My name is Christy Bridges, and I'm a marketing expert with tons of experience and a true love for all things health and wellness. Welcome to today's episode of The Irresistible Factor. I'm excited to have as my guest, Kevin Rutherford, who is the CEO of Noon Hydration. And I want to let Kevin talk a little bit about his title as well as his background. So welcome to the podcast, Kevin. Thanks for joining us.
0: Oh, Christy, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Absolute honor and privilege. Yeah, you know, uh, just a quick introduction of myself to your point. I am the CEO, otherwise the self-proclaimed chief eternal optimist. Hopefully the team agrees with me on that <laughs> on, on most occasions. It is self-proclaimed. And yeah, it's been a great run. I've been had the chance to kind of lead the Noon team over the last eight and a half years, and it's been an incredible run. I frequently say I'm the luckiest person on the planet. If we went through my life story, which is probably pretty boring, I'm pretty lucky. So
1: That's awesome. It's nice to hear that, especially since you've been there for quite some time. So can you talk a little bit about, first of all, how you wound up at noon? I know you're not technically the founder, but I know you've been there for quite a bit of time, so...
0: Yeah, I am not the founder. If you've ever watched the documentary, uh, I think it's called The Founder. I'm going, I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to do that. (laughs) So yeah, I've had the privilege of leading the team, though, for quite some time. The team actually rebranded me recently on the, I think you're the refounder kind of comment, because we've gone through a lot of change through this period of time. And so it's been quite the run. So my history goes like this. I started my career in Canada, like all Canadians, they want you to know they're Canadian, which I am. And mm-hmm. every vegan wants you to know you're vegan. So I am And every CrossFitter wants you to know they're a CrossFitter, which I am not. Um, okay.
1: <laughs> um, okay. So
0: one of these days I will muster up them to the muscle building of doing CrossFit. I'm not opposed to it, to be clear. So all kidding aside, though, I did start my career in Canada and Really, the graduation over time was starting on the retail side. So, I was with Loblaws. Loblaws is the largest retailer in Canada for those listeners that aren't familiar. I think grocery retailer, a little upscale. And that was a really amazing foundation for me. So, and the reason I say that is that skill set so early in my career has allowed me to understand what buyers are thinking on the other side of the table, which is really helpful. Interestingly, I didn't actually go from there to sales, which is usually dealing with the buyers on a you know week to week, month to month basis. I went into marketing, which was my passion point. And so I, I started my career at a company called S.C. Johnson, otherwise known as S.C. Johnson, a family company. And I did that through Canada and they moved me to the U.S. And it was an amazing point in my career. I left there while I was in Wisconsin and went to, I like to say my first journey into all natural products, it was beer. So the Miller Brewing Company is what it was called at the time, later became known as Miller Coors, and it's now called Molson Coors. So it's changed names several times, but Miller Brewing Company. And it was really incredible. I will tell you, Imagine working on a product, so in this case, Miller Genuine Draft, where the differences are not massive versus other big conventional beers. So it's all about a mode of marketing. How do you connect on emotional level? So that was kind of the moment and t- what I learned there in my marketing career. I left there and went to another company called, which is also familiar to many people, is Kashi, speaking of all natural products, kind of like a little bit of the OG in Absolutely,
1: this case. They really, really changed the category, I think.
0: Yeah, and it was amazing. And I'll I'll say this, my one nugget from Kashi, I never thought I would ever leave Kashi, to be honest, because I loved it so much, not just because it was in San Diego, La Jolla, California, but because of what the brand and the team stood for. And so the way I looked at business, I never looked at it the same way again after working at Kashi, never again, very much the purpose-driven, the why that we hear from Simon Sinek, which by the way, the Simon 18 minute famous Ted talk of all, like top five of all time didn't actually exist back then. And so when Simon, you know, released that Ted talk, I was like, that's it. That's what we did at Kashi. It was so powerful. And again, it changed the way I looked at business. And then just a couple more steps for you as I went from Kashi from sunny San Diego and then moved up to the Midwest again and actually moved to Minneapolis, Minnesota. And wow. had the privilege for taking over for the founder in this case to become CEO, chief eternal optimist of the Caldrea company, Mrs. Myers Clean Day. And it was actually a company that was acquired by SC Johnson. And I guess I qualified for that one and they put me in charge to take over for the founder. And it was a great run. It wasn't a huge run in terms of length of time, it was just under three years, but it was a really great run. The team did amazing things, love the team there. And then now, the last eight coming on nine years is noon, and it's been an absolute dream job. It follows my passion health, wellness, fitness, natural products. I'm just like I said, pretty darn lucky. And here we are sitting together to talk wow. about these fun things.
1: So, your career is amazing. You don't, you definitely aren't old enough to have had all those jobs and all those places. So, I can't even believe that you've had so many of them. You've worked on great brands, like yeah. really, truly great brands. I need to know what your secret is. Like, what is it that kept you going? And, you know, you've been in some great places and now you're in a really great place. So talk about a little bit your path.
0: So there's a saying that Steve Jobs used when he spoke at Stanford. Anyone that wants to look it up, you can find it pretty easily. And there's a really powerful line that he said in there that really stuck with me, as I've reflected on my career, to your point he said, you can only connect the dots in life by looking backwards. Mm -hmm. And so as I looked backwards, the truth be told, I'm like, how the heck did I get here? Like the things that the Noon team has accomplished, just to kind of give you why I'm asking this question to myself going, how did like all this happen in this career journey end up at Noon where we've been named a top company to work for by Outside Magazine five years in a row. We were acquired by Nestle Health Science last year. The Ernst Young Entrepreneur of the Year for Pacific Northwest awarded to us last year. Like, There's just so many things. You go, how is this happening? And for me personally, I don't think truthfully, I'm not smarter than the other person. So how is this happening? And I think I actually do distill it down to one thing. And there are many things and luck is one of them, just to be clear. So, but that's, I can't really do much with luck to talk to people about that. So aside from luck and being in the right place, right time and many moments, I think there's something where I have an ability to connect with people and get the most out of people. In essence, a little Ted Lasso-esque truly. Oh my God, that's amazing. We got to believe. I've used this saying so many times, you just got to start with a belief. Do we believe, create a belief, create a future state of the like vision of the world you want to create? And then you get people to believe in themselves. And that truly is like, if I go back through the thread, I'm like, it's the one common thread. One story I'll share with you that is one of my favorites is when I went to Miller Genuine Draft, I was actually on some smaller beer brands at Miller Brewing before that, which is typical. They bring you in, learn the system, and then they move you on to bigger and better things, if you will. And when they were moving me over in a marketing assignment to Miller Genuine Draft, my peers said to me, Kevin, what are you doing? This is a career killer. The reason why they were saying that is that brand was on a 17-year double-digit decline. And I was like, probably a little naive. I'm like, I don't know. It seems like fun. I want to give it a shot. you know what? Some things that intrigued me when I was talking to who became my manager at the time, Grant Leach, he's like, you know, this is a global brand. It's one of the few in the US that goes around the world. So you can kind of learn that. And I go, this sounds really cool. And we really need to figure out how to retrench this thing and try something new. I go, okay, here's the thing. We did a test market from a business result in two markets, Minneapolis and Milwaukee. And we actually changed that in 17-year 17, 17 double-digit decline to become growth in those two test markets. So that was pretty cool. So there's an end result. What's more interesting is how we did it was a team effort, and it was getting minds together. And it became a team where I had people coming to me, other marketers saying, how do I get on this team? Amazing. Other people in other departments, how do I get on this team? Because it was like we were having fun. Now, part of the fun, by the way, is there's not a lot of eyes on you because they're like, what do we have to lose? Let them do what they want. And it worked. Mm -hmm. But truly, I think the magic, if you will, or the good fortune that I've had over my career is I have surrounded myself with really good people. And somehow, some way, I've got a way to connect with people that I think gets them to rally together. Like it's the magic. That's cool. No question.
1: It's cool because it's not, you know, you don't need an MBA for that. And you don't need a right a PhD for that. You just need to really believe also. I mean, I think it starts with your own belief probably.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I got to go with absolute conviction or to be clear, sometimes you don't have the answer. So you haven't, you have a nugget of an idea that you believe in, and then you pressure test and you get this information and then you create a belief and mm-hmm. then you get people to march for. And now they actually felt like they had input for part of the Yeah. Solution.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you had alignment. A question for you. You had a lot of marketing roles before you became a CEO. What was the transition? What brand were you at when you made the transition from a marketing person to a CEO? Cause it's so different.
0: Absolutely, yeah. So I was at Kashi.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Kashi is today still, but was owned at the time by Kellogg. Mm-hmm. So Kellogg, based out of Battle Creek, Michigan, and very different culture and location for Kashi down in SoCal. So I went from there as one of the marketing directors. There was four of us reporting into the president of Kashi.
1: Cool, that's amazing. Like in some ways, right, the CEO is an internal marketer because you've got to get everybody excited and believing in the brand. So how do you feel about? the difference between being a marketing person and a CEO, like what's really different in your day-to-day?
0: Well, I think, you know, the thing about a CEO is you really are trying to move all facets of the business and you're accountable for all of it. Mm -hmm. So you, there's a lot of similarities. I agree with what your point of you need to do internal marketing, but you also need to keep all of the, I want to say boats floating or move everyone in sync together. Mm-hmm. And so you just have a much more holistic view in my mind. Yeah. In addition to that, because ultimately you have the accountability, this is an interesting one too, is so one of the big things I learned about myself was I tend to be an extrovert and I will share ideas. And what I learned through that is my voice has more weight than other just by position alone. And so people react to it, even if I tell them not to. Yeah. Um, it's like, hey, I'm just going to share this with you. You don't have to do anything with it. It's cool. Mm-hmm. But if you like it, go with it. I'm good either way. And this, this would happen a lot. And so I think it's understanding the power of your influence mm-hmm. and making sure that you use it wisely to help the team and not distract them. And that was a really big shift. Like one of the shifts that was really big for me that I still have to think about to this day. And now I've been a CEO for over a decade between the two. And it's that it's going, when you give ideas or when you give direction or thoughts, be really sure that that's the one you want to share. Now, you can always listen and -hmm. give feedback, but when it comes across as almost like your idea, your thought, your direction, people will react. And even if you think they won't.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. And it's important, I think, because when you're thinking about growing a brand and you've got people who are listening to every word you say, and then potentially acting on things you didn't mean for them to. Interesting. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, I think, you know, coming back to the team thing as well is so Tom Peters, one of my favorites of all time, the Red Bull of business consultants, I think, are mm-hmm. business management leaders. And I love the saying where he says, we're all in the business of serving people, people serving people, serving people. And I think the key is, as you go up in an organization as your CEO, one of the things that I really didn't lose, I was the same person from previous roles to here is, there's no role that's below me. And therefore, it sends a message that's not below for anyone, whether that's going to, by the way, as we talk about Natural Products Expo West, and we rent an Airbnb, and I'm sleeping on the floor, which mm-hmm. has happened at many points, and other teammates would do it for me, to I will help you with that and whatever it takes. Yep. So I'm, yep. I'm in there with you. Like I'm not in front of you. I'm there with you running alongside of it. And I think that's one of the key things is being there on the front lines with people as much as you can to stay attuned because they're the ones that actually know what's really happening in the world. And I think we can get kind of stuck in the clouds up here as we're talking to board members and or companies that have acquired you.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I want to talk about the acquisition, but first I want to ask you, I mean, obviously you're doing a lot of things, right? I went into my Whole Foods last night and I was confronted with a wall of noon products, like a wall. It was amazing. And I always sort of see it out of the corner of my eye. But last night, I don't know what happened. It just really hit me. And I was like, wow, there's a lot of noon in here right now. And it, was, it wasn't it was buried anywhere. It was like right at my eye level. And there was so much of it, which is incredible. So we we'll talk about how that happened. Because I remember when you guys started. I mean, it was such a small branch. Nobody knew about it. It was just the real like athletes and people who needed it you know, it was a lot of workout people, but now talk about your audience because it's huge.
0: Oh yeah. It's changed a lot. Let's just start with the execution and market that you talked about at Whole Foods, which is an incredible partner for us. Gosh, they've been so great. So many good partners, but they're a great one. And that execution that you're seeing speaks to not just the partnership, but also speaks to the passion and conviction of our sales team and the feet on the street. Like rather than trying to go breadth, we've really focused on going deep and, you know, a lot of kudos to really our sales leaders and the team that work with them all together. Like they are absolutely focused on here's the stores we want to go deep with and they really identify it, which means you can't be everywhere. And yeah. so we make choices on that. And so Whole Foods is, is a great example of it. The market has really transitioned. You know, let me just give a little context for how noon started. So Noon started 17 years ago, and it started with the endurance athletes, um, Mm -hmm. which are, you know, Ironman athletes, adventure racers, which are like racing for three, five days at a time. Mm -hmm. And what the whole objective was, was to try to give this scientifically backed hydration that will help you get through that. It's not your fuel source. It's purely hydration. It doesn't combine the two. In fact, when you combine the two, it kind of messes with your body. It's a little bit like when I've talked to people in hair care. Mm-hmm. It's like when you combine a shampoo and conditioner, you know, actually don't do either one very well. See, so that's why you, you go back to that was a thing, and now they're back separated for the yep. most part. Yep. The same things, honestly, with your body. Hydration and fuel—the way it's absorbed and how it works with you—it's actually very different. And so, Noon was the first real sports drink to separate your hydration from your fuel. And so it started with that. Then as time has gone on, as we've done this torture test with the athlete, pushed you to a whole limit, we're like, well, hold on a second here. Hydration is the most important thing you can do in your body. The most important thing you can do for body for health and vitality is to just move. (laughs) But the most important thing you can do in your body is proper hydration. The second most important thing is nutrients within your body in terms of what you put in your body. Both are critical, by the way. I'm not saying you you need to do both. And here's where I'm going. We all know we should drink more water. We all know we should do it. Yet 75% of the population is chronically dehydrated. So we know we should do it, but we don't do it, right? Why don't we do it? And it really comes down to this is water is boring. And it was the same thing with the athlete, by the way, it's just becomes at a macro. So you can actually take the applied learnings there and get it to a much more scalable position. Water is boring. So we need to make it interesting, make it taste good. By the way, the athlete's the same thing. If you're racing an Ironman race, you can't have actually an overly sweet drink. This is why the taste is the way it is today. We were a little ahead of our time with our light, crisp taste of noon because mm-hmm. back then, all of the sports drinks that we were competing against, which you compete against more than that now, were sweet drinks. Exactly. As yeah. you move and exercise, your taste buds actually become hypersensitive. It's physiology, which means the sweet drink became even sweeter. And then that's when people spit it out or even yeah. worse, vomited out. Yeah. And so boring right? Make it taste good. Make it interesting. That's the effervescent tablet. Two, it's make it count. We hear this from a lot of people, but in particular, we hear from women is I'm too full. I don't feel like drinking water. Okay. So let's make every sip count. So everything is scientifically backed in terms of working for you harder than water. And then the third one is I forget. And I think we do this one partially well, and I think there's room to get better. Although I don't know if it's our core competency in where I'm going is this if i forget we need to make it available so distribution that would be mm-hmm. one but, but the other one would be you know when you think about our tube you've got 10 tablets in here so you have multiple servings so we're solving it there i still think in today's world with wearable technology there's something there there is some hydration wearable technology that's mm-hmm. coming out is out and maybe we'll do it through a partnership but i think there's something there to get you to think about hydrating more okay. but again those three things and i think it's our unfair competitive advantage on our approach delivering on those three things
1: Amazing. And now talk about where you are now, because there's so many questions I want to ask you. I could probably talk to you for two hours, but I want to get back to the go deep and make choices. Because I think when you're thinking about growing a brand and a lot of the listeners on this podcast are founders, they're in the early, early stages, and there's so many decisions to make. And I've seen over innovation, over distribution, like crazy, crazy, not making choices. So I'm curious to hear about that. Um, But I want to hear how you got to where you are from endurance athlete to now.
0: Yeah, great point. So I wish we had Nathan Underwood, who's our head of sales here, or Tyler Smith, who leads our customer marketing, because they could probably articulate it better. But here's what I would say is the approach has been for all along. So we started in sports stores. And the key here is who believes what you believe? Where is that consumer? And really identify where they're shopping. And so if you think about our heritage, we were in run shops bike shops, triathlon shops actually don't exist anymore. They're like bike shops are triathlon shops, but there used to be a separate shop. We were in that REI, still an incredible customer and partner for us today. We've been at REI for over a decade, like deep, longstanding relationship. So here's where I'm going. You start with that. Then we say, okay, what's the next concentric circle? And this is kind of when I started to come in on this place as we started to expand and it goes, well, actually we're not just about the endurance junkie athlete, if you will, we're actually about an active lifestyle, right? Our mission, and so we've crafted and really honed in our mission about empowering everyone to move more, mm-hmm. right? So hydration that gets you there, it's a tool. It led us to Whole Foods, Sprouts, Natural Co-ops, and yep. all of those, yep. and yep. the adjacencies. And it really worked. Then once we got there, we said, okay, what's a subset of different grocery stores So the different Kroger banners, QFC in the Northwest, as an example, or Bartels actually in drug, they're a much more upscale drugstore, but that combination, where's your consumer shopping and don't, the key here is accelerate your growth by pushing out. Don't go chase the volume. And what happens is it allows you to keep building versus you have this attrition of people leaving your brand. When you chase that growth, it's very short-lived. And the the good news is today with digital and DTC and e-commerce, we can actually see that full funnel approach. Before it was more theoretical. We didn't totally know it. Now we actually see the data. Is somebody leaving? Where are they? Where are they in the funnel?
1: When you say don't chase the volume, can you talk about that more? I know what you mean, but could you just elaborate a little bit?
0: Yeah. I think one of the challenges, I think you get out over your skis with distribution and you try to go to the big retailers way too soon and you don't have enough awareness. People aren't aware of you. So they're not looking for you. And so it sits on shelf yep. and it's not turning fast enough. And then yep. they go, Hey, I'm going to discontinue you. Or you're distracted and just trying to hold on. Yeah, I'll give an example. Listen, there's been the hydration category, the functional hydration category that our team created. Right, which was very different, like having hydration plus hydration with energy, hydration plus immunity, like this was a very different approach. Mm -hmm. That caught a lot of attention and a lot of competitors came in. What I found, like what I saw with the team, was all these competitors came in, but they didn't have any awareness. Yeah. And so they've got all this distribution. And I said, I give it a year because the decisions will be made and they'll clean up the planogram and they'll start falling off. That's exactly what's happened hmm I, I think there's one competitor who's done very well. They've stuck. We've stuck. And there's a mishmash of others that honestly are just teetering. So, so be focused, be focused. Where is your consumer shopping? Yep. Know yep. your consumer. It's
1: mm-hmm. interesting because I'm sure you've seen this too, because you've been with a lot of brands and you probably talked to a lot of different people, but I think a lot of people at the beginning distribution is all they can think about. How much distribution can I get? Where can I be? And then all of a sudden you're in all these places and what you said happens because you can't support, you cannot support it. You can't get people to the stores. And I think that's a really, I mean, it's come up so many times and I think it's such an important thing for founders to understand at the early stages that that's probably one of the worst things you could do is get over-distributed and not be able to support it.
0: Yeah. And think about where we are today. Let's use your example of Whole Foods. Yeah. Well, I will tell you which, which Whole Foods were you at?
1: In Middletown, New Jersey.
0: Middletown, New Jersey. I'm trying to think of who on our team might have been specifically in that one. It might have been Gabrielle in this case. So let's just say it's Gabrielle on our team, um, which it probably was actually. So, Gabrielle, what does she do? She goes and she builds a relationship at a store level with where we're merchandised. Wait, yep. I'm not going to stop there. Because, see, this is what I talk about focus and just own it and get that velocity turning, right? And so you go, okay, I built a relationship there. Now I'm going to go get a relationship with the person managing the front ends, the register, and what that means, and build a relationship there. Oh, guess what? Now we're having a few merchandising racks there. Oh, I'm going to build a relationship with this other area with the bottled water section and get another secondary placement over there. It doesn't happen overnight, but it's like go deep, build relationships, build connections, add value every time you go in and then this is what happens but you can't the problem is you can't actually do that if you're a startup you can't do that at scale so no. you really have to pick your a stores and go go deep go yeah. deep be persistent and keep going keep going and keep adding value that truly is what Nathan and the entire sales team were doing and have continued to do is they really focus on who's the A stores and how do we make sure we're doing that? And I think the other mistake that people do is you get distribution, you almost assume you're good with where you were and that will actually leave if you don't, just like any relationship, if you don't invest in it. I will tell you that we spend a lot of time with the run shops and the bike shops to this day, trying to help them grow their business, their category, as well as Noon. And we do that, because that's the core and ethos of our brand. We're still in this together on this mission. So we don't walk from the relationship. That's a tough one because on paper, you know, all these other customers are going to become much bigger. And quickly, mm-hmm. someone from the outside, you know, investors for me in the past and board members, why are you focusing there? Well, I'm yeah. focusing there because it's the core. And it also is the ghost of Christmas future. Because if you know what that consumer is doing, it will influence others down the line.
1: That's yeah. interesting. It's a really interesting point and commitment because it's hard. I mean, it's like you have so many relationships. It's like taking care of a bunch of significant others, right? You have to pay attention. You just have to. And I think that's really important. I think if people take one thing away from this conversation, that's probably one of the most important ones. And then talk about your team because you talk a lot about team building and, you know, getting people excited and to believe in something. How important is that?
0: Single most important thing that you need to focus in on the single most important thing. So for context for people, when I first started at Noon, you know, the company was growing but it was actually a declining growth rate, meaning it was single digit growth rate versus double digit, right? And when I came in, what's interesting is we started to change the growth trajectory in month 1, continued to month 2, month 3 and it continued. We actually started beating budget which wasn't happening. That's why they wanted to make a shift the board. And here's the thing I didn't do that. I didn't do that. So one, it could have been changed. That might've been like the inflection. So it was a spark, right? But what we did do is we created a belief in each other, belief in what we were trying to do. And this mojo builds mojo is my saying internally. That's what you're trying to do. Build this momentum. Momentum builds more momentum. It's the single most important thing you can do. Like The results will follow. And this is why I talk about the whole trajectory. I think there's a few things that are really important. So you need to go in with a servant leadership mentality. So when you think of that, as we hear that all the time, right? But truly, like, how do I help each other win? Mm -hmm. And you need to communicate that with your team. What you also need to communicate with your team is, listen, we are who we surround ourselves with. And so recognize all of us have to look in the mirror and go, that means they're surrounding themselves with you. So there's an accountability piece. Yeah. And teaching that one and living up to what we said we're going to do. I said, I'm going to do this. So I did this. And you don't want to let your teammates down. That's another thing. The other one is around, I call it energy giving. That doesn't mean everything's positive. That's, by the way, something I have to clarify all the time, still to this day. I'm not saying it has to be positive because someone said, I'm sorry, I've got to give you this issue. I'm like, don't be sorry. Energy giving is all about helping someone move things forward, right? It's like, I hear you, I'm gonna meet you where you are, whether that's a dark place, a bad place, we all have those days, I'm gonna meet you there. Okay, now what? So what now? And so I think those are some fundamentals that is so deeply ingrained in our team, so deeply ingrained, I think it's what's made us so adaptable and flexible to many changes from a pandemic where we actually grew faster And events went away. And by the way, we're the most served hydration on course in Canada, run courses, and the second most behind Gatorade in the US. And that went away, Mm -hmm. went away. And yet we grew faster, right? So the resilience and flexibility, I think, is just this whole servant leadership mentality. How can I help you? How can I lift you up? It definitely a we mentality as opposed to, you know, a me and an I. To the point, everyone at noon, when we got acquired, had options, as an example. So we were all in this together.
1: What happens when you're one of the people who's does it ever happen where you're one of the people who needs to get picked up where you're sorted down? It sounds I would guess not very often, but does it? I mean,
0: <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I will say this: I think it's you know we've heard this before, and I don't want to do the pity party for CEOs because we're definitely in a position of privilege for sure. But it is lonely in that position because you actually. Don't really have a lot of opportunity to share that, but you can. You know, like as an example, I've got a leadership team and I've got such a tight connection with them that I can share that with them for sure. You know, whether it's Jerry, our COO, Ariel, who is head of marketing, Nathan, Jeff, like the list goes on. So I do have that, but it is pretty lonely. So I got to kind of find my outlets in other areas. And so I do that by kind of investing in time to grow in a different way that gives me energy. Whether that's physical or mental, I will do that and I'll spend time on it. And I think the other one is, I don't actually have a lot of mentors outside the business, which I wish I did in hindsight. I'm like, that would have been a smart call. I do have one that was on the board who became really my coach. And Mm -hmm. I think about times at noon, she was probably, Rhonda is her name. Rhonda was probably the, she might've been my saving grace in the moments of when I needed a kick in the butt. It's like, you need to get over this. And she would kick me in the butt too. Oh, this is a day of, I need to help Kevin. I just feel support. She just read me like a book and she was perfect. She's an executive with Clorox. She's so, so good. So I don't have a lot of a support network on that one other than that, but that's okay. I'm pretty resilient. So I'm doing okay.
1: Do you mentor others?
0: Yeah, I do. I do actually had some good mentoring relationships. You know, one example that I've become really good friends with, is Jesse Thomas, who is the founder and CEO of Picky Bars, who then got acquired by Laird Superfoods mm-hmm. last year. Yeah, yeah. Similar time to when we got acquired actually. So that's a good example. There's a few other ones too, you know, work closely with Madeline over nut pods and, you know, a few others.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I guess quite honestly, when you're mentoring others, honestly, they're mentoring you right back. And Absolutely, I didn't, even, oh, yeah. I didn't even realize it until I'm in conversation. I'm like, this is really helpful. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Interesting. That's cool. So you talked about a lot of great things. Talk about your biggest challenges. What's happening now from a, this is our challenge perspective.
0: Yeah. Well, I would say there's a couple of challenges. I think the biggest challenge for noon right at this moment in time is we've been acquired by Nestle health science and now we're eight months post-close. So now we're really getting kind of integrated into the cultures with each other. And how do we work with each other? And we're so different. That's the biggest challenge. And just for context, what I'm not saying is we know better. This is how you do it. Or they're better and they know how to do it. What I'm saying is we're just very different. And it's, it's a real challenge because you're dealing with real people on both sides of the equation. And it's... I like to use sports analogies a lot, but it's almost like a new coach comes in or new owner and there's, this is the way we operate now. I know that's the way you did operate, but this is how we operate. And it's tough for the players to figure out that's, that's not how we kind of grew up and how we did this. So I'd say that is probably right at this moment, the biggest challenge. We will get through it. Like all companies that get acquired and they figure out and then they get a new rhythm, but that's definitely a challenge which is interesting because it's nothing to do with the consumer. I actually think we've got that figured out. I think the team's doing a great job. They're, the, the business is really strong. So it's not even that. It's, really, it's truly probably right around the people front right now at this moment to just get through these waters that are a little rougher. And we go, okay, I think we got our rhythm now. Biggest challenge for sure. And definitely talked a lot about people, haven't I?
1: You have, which I think is really cool because that's all we have at the end, right? I mean, <clears> you have a great product, but you already have a great product. And so what do you do with it depends on who you have on your team, basically, and how it goes. So I think that what else is there in a way aside from people? People who innovate, people who think about how to do something better differently. And that's what it is in the end.
0: Yeah, well said. Yeah, yeah appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, I think that's you know, speaking of philosophies and getting out over your skis or not, so the biggest opportunity for noon right now and challenge is how do we grow our awareness, right? So people are aware of us when they're looking for us in store. I think we have really great distribution right now. And our new teammates at Nestle Health Science agree. Mm-hmm. Nestle, I think Nestle Health Science says, I think we can get even more distribution, which by the way, I think they're right <laughs> and they can and they will at the same time as going, hold on, let's make sure we're ready for it. Same mm-hmm. conversation, even though now we're part of a bigger company, it's the same yeah. conversation. We yeah. need to make sure that our consumer knows so that when they see it, they're converting, they're discovering and converting in store. Otherwise, they don't know who we are and they'll just walk right by it. Yep. So, What about challenge.
1: innovation? When you think about innovation, how do you mm-hmm. guys do that? I mean, you've got a great product. You've got a bunch of new things. How do you go about that?
0: Yeah, so there's really kind of three major phases to innovation in terms of how we do it. So there's ideation, then the development phase. Ideation, you've figured out your concept, what you're moving forward, and then you go to phase two of development. And that's where you're really getting the nuts and bolts, getting ready to commercialize, and then you commercialize it and go to market. So I say that as three phases. When we think about that, by the way, when I think of ideation, you can have ideas coming from your competitive landscape, it can be global or it can be scientific discovery right? So we kind of look at that of what are the unmet needs? what Mm -hmm. is someone not doing very well that we can add value to? If we don't think we can do it better, we just don't do it. So you really need a point of difference. And that's how we've approached it. So when we started, this is actually kind of interesting is we've started as an effervescent tablet. We're known as an effervescent tablet in terms of our product form. But what I would say is I wouldn't say we're going to stay only an effervescent tablet. In fact, we do have some powder products. I think there's room for us to expand in different ways because if you ladder it up, that is a form to get you to deliver on the need. And what we know is the brand stands for something bigger than that. It's about noon is hydration. And it's really then it ladders up even more after that. It's about a healthy, active lifestyle. When people have noon, like that's what it says about them. Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm a healthy person. So... I think there's many different avenues when it comes to hydration that we can take this, which we will. We will enter through many different forms and different approaches. Again, if we can find a way that does it better than what's in the marketplace today to give people a reason to purchase us. So that's how we've approached it. So it was through a product form. The innovation that people have seen in the market that we've done really well with is creating what we call a functional hydration set. So it started with a sport product, but then we've added an energy. So caffeine, B vitamins, right? That's in there, adaptogens. And then we went to an immunity product, which that was timed incredibly well in light of the pandemic. So our time, like we were already in market and then the pandemic hit. So there's functional benefits that I think we continue to do as well. So I would expect forms that we can do, other functions that we can do even within the existing forms. Flavor, taste, beverages is an interesting one. Is Most supplement companies don't think about that. But the reality is, is people get bored of their flavor and beverages is all about flavor variety. Yep. And so we found a way to kind of thread the needle of both of those.
1: Cool. Awesome. Is there anything else that you want to share that we haven't? I mean, I want to be really respectful of your time, but I think there's so many great points in here that I hope will help people. But I, is there anything else that's on your mind that you're like, I just need to say one more thing. I need to tell you about this.
0: Oh, gosh. You know, when I think of in the spirit of servant leadership, my whole thing is like, how can I serve you and your audience? And I would say this, is there a question, a pressing question that you think always comes up with your listeners? And if there is, I can try to connect it to that. But I, I don't have any specific agenda about our product, for sure. It was really, how can I help your audience.
1: Which is awesome. And I think you have because the thing that I think comes up a lot where people are really struggling. I mean, I've had so many people just never mind my audience from a business perspective. The number one thing I'm dealing with with some of our clients or prospects right now is I've got distribution and I'm losing it. I've got it everywhere. I'm in, you know, they name things like Whole Foods all the way to Walmart and they're losing it. Well, because... That's totally right. That doesn't even make sense when you think about it. I mean, Mm -hmm. if you had different products, it might make sense. But if you think about that, to me, that's one of the number one problems. And the other one is over innovation and over like sometimes people just do things really well and they don't need to have new things, you know, like get your things in order and do things right and really well and then move on from there. But, you know, I I've got a lot of people that we work with that are like, well, we need another thing. And maybe you don't always need other things. Maybe you just need to do the thing you're doing better. So I think that's something that's really interesting, which is why I asked you about innovation. I interviewed Ellie Truesdell. I don't know if you know her. She used to be the global buyer for Whole Foods. And now she is with Almanac, which is a private equity firm. And she said to me, the same thing you said, and I even wrote it down. If you're making something and it's similar to something else and it isn't better and doesn't serve a need that someone has, don't do it. Just don't do it. Because you're going to have to spend so much time and money getting people to even consider it. And if it isn't better and there isn't a need, why do it? So I think that's an interesting thing, too, when you're thinking about innovation. Like, people probably don't need another, you know, bottle of water unless there's something about – like, there are 75 million versions of water now. Totally. Yeah. So I think that's interesting.
0: Here's a thought to maybe leave you with this and your clients and as well as, as listeners on that one. So typically the person that's first to market that like spends behind and actually gets mm-hmm. traction will retain 50% to 60% market share, even after all the competitors come in. So now everyone else is going to be divided onto that pie in, a, in half or less than yep. half of it. So. As much as you want to be optimistic about it, you've got to recognize that. Now, granted, if the whole pie keeps growing, that could be a big chunk still. So, in, yeah. in fairness, there could be something there. So, I think that's important. So, you want to be first to market. And then, I think the other one is back to what we were talking about is find a difference of what you need to do. So, let's use bottled water. That's a really interesting one, right? So, bottled water, you're right. There are so many different bottled water out there. So, you could go, why even enter the market? Actually, if I go back roughly, more than 10 years ago, I had an opportunity to go work at a bottled water company. And so I'll reveal the name in a second. And in fact, I'll start to describe it to see if you can get it. Okay. So bottled water, very prevalent, right? Big category, massive. Premium waters might have been starting to happen. This might have been the catalyst to start it all. So I said, you know what? Let's find a way to source our water from a different part of the country that has a very clean image. And that's what we're going to do. Okay, now I'm going to keep describing, see if you can get it. So then it goes, I'm going to do a unique design that no one else is doing. And I'm going to make it a different shape. So rather than the cylinder shape, I'm going to make it a rectangle square shape. Starting to ring a bell yet? It's
1: Someone was drinking it in my office today and I cannot remember what it is.
0: I'm going to then go, I'm going to take a very different approach and I'm going to make this such a stylish bottle of water that I'm going to place it in the sitcom called Friends. I'm going to put it at all the Hollywood parties and I'm going to place it there and I'm going to give them the water for free. And they're going to say, I have to pay. And I'm I'm not going to pay. This is a unique bottle of water that's from Fiji yeah, and it's in this shape. And I'm going to give you this and make it high end. But why would that have succeeded? Right. Like, if you think about it, the thing was like three, four X the price of yep. different water that's yep. out there. And so they said, listen, I got to take a different approach than what everyone else is doing. And so you're not going to out competition at their same games. So you've got to change the game and do something different. And then you can potentially accelerate and grow faster yep. than them. Yep. So, yeah, you got to do something that's different and that matters. And I think Fiji's a really good example. It may not be the most environmentally friendly about that one. So to be clear, I'm not trying to vouch for their planet impact at all. Yep but it is an interesting case study.
1: It is a good one. And it's amazing to me because I don't drink it because I can't fit it in things, right? Ah. It's just not right. It doesn't fit in my car and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't fit on a bike. And so Fiji was never my water, but I get it. Like they did something different and there are lots of people that drink it and it's interesting.
0: There wasn't a lot of innovation. It stayed the same thing. They went to a bigger bottle at one point. Yep. Red Bull said, we're going to stick with the thin can for a long time. Now they've got different Red Bulls, but that took a long time before they would deviate. So I also agree with you. Innovation for innovation's sake is probably not a good answer. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much. I'm really, I love this interview. I think there's so much good stuff in here. I'm really excited to get it launched. Cool.
0: Awesome. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. It was fun. Yeah,
1: me too. I'll talk to you soon.
0: All right, Christy. Okay. Okay, bye bye. Bye.
1: Thank you for listening to The Irresistible Factor. I'm Christy Bridges, and I can't wait to see you next Wednesday.